Welcome to the 12th house, a podcast where we pull the veil back on the areas of wellness, well-being, spirituality, and intuitive business that are a little murky, and we explore and shine a light on them with curiosity, enthusiasm, and a little bit of reverence. I'm Michelle Pelazon, the host and the head witch in charge here at Holisticism, the parent company of the 12th house podcast, and I am delighted to introduce our very first in a series of interviews that we are doing with our visionaries in residence. We started the Visionary in Residence program at Holisticism in January of 2021. Well, actually in late 2020, we wanted to incubate and support a select number of practitioners and providers in the wellness space who are making wellness more inclusive and accessible through innovative work, through visionary work. And so, you know, my big vision is to be able to invest in wellness companies and wellness practitioners financially. And while that might not be where we are at right now, we do have a lot of resources at our disposal in the way of a team, a small team of amazing people, in the way of access, in the way of an audience and community. Thank you. That that includes you. That we can share with others, especially people who are creating really big, big things in this world. So we had about 700 people apply to be part of our visionary in residence program, which is a year long incubator slash sort of artist residency program for healers and practitioners to work on a project in the wellness and well-being space that makes the world more inclusive and accessible. And we ended with these seven shiny gems of human beings. And wow, we are so lucky. And I can't wait for you to get to know them better. If you follow holisticism, you've definitely seen them around. You may, if you're in the North Node, you've definitely definitely taken class with many of them. And I'm excited for you, if you're a podcast listener, to get to know all of them better. So we're going to kick it off with a couple of interviews with some of our VIRs over the next couple of weeks, because they're also doing a series of events. So some of our VIRs are doing some events with us at Holisticism. And our first guest in our first event is with Krista Venora. And Krista is such... <sighs> Krista's brand is Pink Opal Magic and truly what a gem of a human being. Krista is an intuitive and a channel and an artist, a creator, and just a really really special human being. They are teaching a class in the next few weeks at Holisticism and you can actually sign up on the website. I'll put the link in the show notes below on ethics, ideas, and alternative practices to jumpstart your spiritual awakening and be a force for good in this world. I love Krista and one of the many reasons that we wanted them to be a visionary in residence this year is because their ethos is that, you know, becoming spiritual should not only offer us freedom, but it should seek to free others and liberate others. And that is such a powerful sentiment. And I think so beautifully encapsulates everything that Krista does. And this was such a fun episode to record. We truly, I feel like we could have talked forever and ever. We talk about ghosts, we talk about spiritual cleanse, like cleansing and other spiritual practices that we should all generally be upkeeping. We talk about being artists and growing up as creatives and also growing up in Southern California because Krista and I both grew up in OC in Orange County. And we also talk a lot about upbringing in spirituality and religion and how some of the religious practices that or, you know, like institutionalized church 
practices can be a little funky and weird, right? And I want to articulate that all of us actually in this conversation grew up pretty religious and how interesting it is to be sort of like coming back to spirituality or religion, looking at religion through fresh eyes and also seeing some things that maybe you grew up, if you grew up in a church that was very dogmatic, perhaps even like borderline culty, because I think there are lots of organized religions and churches in particular, like set you know, sects of church or of religions, I should say, that are like a little culty, right? Object like we can objectively say that with good, good natured humor. <laughs> and and just noticing that as adults and being like, wow, wild. That's so fascinating and interesting. And I think that that is, I think often in spirituality, we don't address religion. We totally sort of like cut religion out of the fabric of our spiritual nature because it can be so traumatic for so many of us. When in fact, like that either or thinking maybe isn't exactly right, especially if you have in your lineage some sort of enmeshment or entanglement with organized religion and folklore practices or magical practices, as many people who practice Catholicism do, or many cultures who eventually were colonized by people who practice Catholicism also do. So I just wanted to double click on that. No shade to any anyone who is religious, but I think that we can all winkingly say there's some weird shit in religion sometimes. And also how fascinating for us to look at the practices that we were raised in and, and look at them with, with a different perspective or fresh eyes. So there's a lot in this episode. I hope that you love it. I know you're going to fall in love with Krista. And I really hope you can join us for class because Krista is an incredible teacher. They have done our opening ceremonies for IWA and PCCL, two of our big courses. And I, I cry like every single time I'm in ceremony with Krista. So <laughs> they're amazing. And just as a reminder, all of our classes are offered at a sliding scale. So you can self-select what price point feels appropriate for you based on where you fall on a sliding scale. And you can come and join. And no one is turned away for lack of funds. So just ping us if that's not in your budget right now. And we'll make sure that you get in. One final thing, just a reminder that we are doing a giveaway this month for anyone who reviews the podcast and sends us a screenshot to the link in the show notes below. If you subscribe and review and send us that screenshot, you'll be entered to win a raffle where you will win in Akashic Records reading with me, which is special because I don't offer one-on-one -on -one readings outside to anyone other than my students. And I also very rarely offer them to my students. So typically the only way you can get on my books is if I've known you and worked with you before. And if I happen to like once a year offer a couple of short readings. So this is a special circumstance and I love reading for you. I love getting to know you and I think it'll be really fun. So if you want to be entered to win, you have until May 31st to submit your review to the text number below. Okay. And with that, let's get into the episode. Hi, Krista. Welcome to the 12th House podcast. We're so excited to have you. Hello. 12th House is the best house. Can't believe it. <laughs> What's up? Wide welcome. Yeah, welcome. It's, it's the house of mystery and shadow and all the creepy weird stuff that everyone's afraid of. So <laughs> we figured we'd hang out there. <laughs> but I totally like screwed the pooch and we started talking and then you started just 
you were oozing wisdom. You were bubbling out these like wise words. And I was like, shit, I have to hit record on this. And I want to circle back on what we were talking about. You were, were saying that in our culture, we have whitewashed the experience of rites of passage. We don't have that in our modern culture. And that's something that was so important and integral to indigenous cultures. Absolutely. I mean, and not just people indigenous to to Turtle Island or the United States. I mean, everybody's cultures had all of these incredible rites of passage, these initiations. I mean, the Vikings, right, did all of these things. It's like now you're of age, now you're a warrior, now you're getting married, right? Or now you found that you are going to be a shaman, you're going to be working in medicine, you're going to be, you know, because we had all of these societies that you had your particular place in, it was important and celebrated when you found where you fit, where Mm. you were going to be necessary and and valuable to the community and where you were going to thrive. And so it wasn't just a singular celebration. It was a whole community celebration. Like, yes, we know who's the next blacksmith. Like, we can't believe it. I'm so excited. And a lot of this idea was, these ideas were given to me by Kyron Armand, who I'm obsessed with. But that's what sparked a lot of that thought for me when he was talking about spirit and it led initiations and how they have to take place of a lot of our initiations that we would do in communities because we just don't do them. And so I think it's awesome when you can celebrate each other and your community and your friends, like turn birthdays into big deals, turn, uh, you know, starting a new job into a big deal and celebrate yourself as often as you can. And it's not just, the thing is, is that it's not just about being happy and having a celebration and celebration is valuable, but spiritually, it's hard to step out from one zone and step into another without having actually shed something. This is an idea we talk about all the time, right? We take every full moon, an opportunity to shed things that no longer serve us. But when we miss out on those opportunities, like coming of age or having some kind of naming ceremony where you choose who you are and you declare who you are, we are stuck with all of this baggage. Like, I think if we were doing all of these initiatory experiences and these celebrations, we probably wouldn't have so much to shed every freaking new moon or full moon. You know what I'm saying? We're like, all this stuff is still here. All these chords are still here. And it's because we don't take the time to say thank you and goodbye to who we were. And hello, I accept. Here's who I am going to be. There is a level of empowerment that happens with that. And so if we're thinking about people who are empowered, why do you think we don't do that? And are there systems that are created to make us not feel powerful? Well, I mean, for sure. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. When I think about that, it makes me think about the school system and how it only really teaches us or trains us to be in a warehouse working for 12 hours straight without breaks, without fidgeting. And to me, that seems like a perfect opportunity to take anything else away from us and keep us very strictly working on one trajectory, right, for your life. I think when it comes to taking power away from us, one, I think part of it 
I don't know. I, I kind of wanted to say that it wasn't intentional, but it's it's hard to it's hard to give them that. <laughs> it's hard to give them that it wasn't intentional. So I'm not sure. But it all comes in with taking culture away from people and not just, of course, people of color, but taking culture away from white people so that they too are working, so that they too keep their heads down and they have nothing else to relate to, to be feel responsible for and also cannot recall as an entire community what kind of freedoms they had and what kind of purposefulness was possible for them. Okay, because when you take away people's identity and you take away their power, that means they have to depend on someone else. And that person is the one who's in power. And that's like tied into capitalism. They don't want you to know your name. They don't want you to be empowered and do it for yourself. They want you to be depending on a larger system so that you're continuing to push their agendas forward. But uh, yeah, and to stay distracted by things that don't matter, right? Distracted by things like, I don't know, like stimulants, like coffee in the morning and depressants, like alcohol at night and television so that we don't go deeper and examine and sort of like take that bird's eye view perspective of why are we doing this? Like, why is, is this system actually working? Am I living or not and that's why we see so much gruesomeness on the news as well too they they try to reinforce like look how good you have it look at how horrible it is all over the world and you keep us distracted by other quote-unquote other people's fights that Mm -hmm. we just don't have here right and that's just it's not realistic and it's not I mean it's just not the truth right I mean everybody's battle is our battle and ultimately we do everybody's battles. We're seem- seemingly responsible for all of them. So I was gonna say, yeah, we meddle in all of them. That's for sh- that's for certain. And oh, yeah, that's what I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 but you know, something that you said, Krista, that really struck me was you were talking about blacksmiths and I started thinking about the word apprentice. And I know you and I, well, actually all of us have like a performing arts background. And there was this mantra when I was dancing that was like, you have to go, everyone has to go through this. Everyone has to go apprentice for free. Everyone has to like pay their dues. And that is a rite of passage in and of itself, but it has such a different flavor. It's like a rite of passage of pain. Like I experience this pain and trauma, so you have to experience it. And that's so different than an actual rite of passage when we look at them in culturally or in religions, I think Judaism does an amazing job of continuing rites of passage throughout like a, a person's life. And yeah, I think the key that you mentioned was community and keeping people in community as opposed to isolating them and saying like, you have to go on this journey yourself. And if I did, you have to do it too. Exactly. Because when we don't understand that it is for all of ours, all the best of everyone that people find exactly what they want, what they love and where they belong in the world and the workforce, sure, but in the world altogether, then we hold, we gatekeep all of the rest of the experiences. And when we talk about, even we want to be specific about the performing arts or theater or whatever in that world, it is wild. They have these rites of passages where they're like, you have to suffer. Yeah. And it's because they don't want you to be a part of the community. They don't want you to be able to be in equity or whatever, to join the, the uh, other auditions, to be a part of it. And they're, 
they're in constant competition with each other. Mm-hmm. And it's a specific sickness to me mm-hmm. because they start that you want to give your life away to this. You want to have no other purpose. You act because you can't do anything else. I hate that line. People say that. I'm like, no, you get to have a whole life, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and they say the, a struggling actor is the way it has to be. Right? And you have to deal with these kinds of people because that's how geniuses work mm. because they don't want us to be separate from like how horrible people like Bob Fosse and Jerome Robbins treated people, you know, mm-hmm. and they teach that to you so young. You're in high school doing friggin' Greece and they're like, give your life to this. And so by the time <laughs> you're 18 and you're knocking on New York city's door and they tell you, you know, here are all the abuses you're going to have to deal with. If this is your dream, you are already trained to say, yes, please. Thank you more. Mm-hmm. And that you don't have any space for anything else. But that's not, like we said, to bring it back to something relevant, that's not rite of passage. A rite of passage is about everyone being excited and celebratory about that person finding their place in our community, right? Mm. Not them breaking into what is mine. Mm. I think is not necessarily helpful. You just like took me back to the strife of being an artist in New York. <laughs> Yeah. Just and like, like fuck. Yeah. And how romanticized the struggle is. But I mean, this conversation is illuminating that it all, it feels like it stems from scarcity, that you can't actually have a good life while you're pursuing your career there. That's separate. You have to do this first to get to there when it's like, why can't I have a good life? Mm-hmm. Because if you have a good life, where where are you going to get all the meat for your performances? <laughs> where are you going to find it? You're not going to be able to cry on cue. Like, no, I can. I don't need to, like, think about all of the worst things that ever happened in the world. Like, we can do yeah. acting. We don't have to, like, live. <laughs> <laughs> and Krista, you're so smart because you are talking about othering, right? You mentioned, like, you have to prove yourself, right? And until you prove, you like are working from less than zero, right? When you enter these spaces where you have to prove, 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 prove over and over again yourself until you finally squeeze into some sort of like half open door and then you're on their team. And once you're in, you're in, it's ride or die. It's like that community is so tight, right? Mm -hmm. But everyone, it's like, it's very tribal of like one versus the other. And people being against each other and that is I feel like that's the opposite of what art is supposed to do exactly and that's why we are experiencing a reckoning finally (laughs) where people are you know on Broadway saying that this is not what I want how I want to be treated this is not what we want to happen and we'll see of course you know there's revolution in every industry and we're all hoping for the best we're all working for the best but it's just been a long time since any of those people were taken seriously or listened to and at this point when you say something it doesn't even though sometimes it feels like you're screaming into the void and nobody can receive or accept it, that people do hear and people do share their own experiences and are working to change the culture. Because honestly, when there's no humanity, when there's no empathy, when there's no real life, the shows are empty. 
we're getting nonsense and they don't understand why they're not making money. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> I can tell you right now <laughs> why it's not good because there's no humanness in this. You could, mm-hmm. I can tell you're a Siri wrote this whole musical, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Would you ever get back into, into theater and acting? I don't know. You know, it's complicated because I do see all of art and performance as channeling work. And if if there's anything that I am, it's a channel. That's my, that's my life. And I think personally, I have been so moved and so changed by art that I've seen. I literally was 16 years old. I was raised in Southern Orange County and I was like one of very few black or even brown people at my school. My teacher was a little obsessed with me because of that and was like, we are going to see the color purple when we go to New York. It's going to change you. And I was like, okay. And (laughs) we sat front and center, like literally front row center because we got student tickets. And it really did. It really did heal me in a lot of ways. I felt seen for the first time really in my whole life. (laughs) And, Mm. you know, I grew up really denouncing any blackness, a part of me, I'd say, no, I'm Native American. I'm not black at all, which is not true. I'm Afro-Indigenous. There's Nigerian blood in there and Choctaw, it's all together. And that changed me and that healed me and that gave me something that I wanted to deliver to other people, that I wanted to be able to offer to other people. But upon seeing what was asked of me to sacrifice in order to do that, it just wasn't worth it. So now I think that if, now that I'm older and able to advocate for myself, I think that I would direct. I think that I would produce. I think that I would choreograph. I think that I would do a one-person show. I wish I was like if I ever become like a millionaire situation, I'm not going to be a millionaire long because I'm going to be like, here's all these shows that have been waiting to be produced that are going to change your life, right? But I don't know if I could in a like auditioning sense, in a showing yourself sense, in a giving these people pieces of you that just don't want them, right? They don't Mm. want them. They ask you to be like they train you to be just like everybody else and they force that into you. And then when you get there, to the audition room, they're like, there's nothing unique about you. And so like, you feel like you start all over again. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? Like, I did exactly what you told me to do. <laughs> and yes, I went to one of those schools that like is a performance, like a private performance art school that teaches you basically to be a cookie cutter on purpose. Because, mm. you know, if they do In that, high school, that's what you went to? In high school, I went to a like blend normal high school and performance arts program. And then I went cool. to a musical theater college after that. That's private as well. Where? Wait, I grew up in Orange County. What high school did you go to? I went to Dana Hills. In Dana oh, Hills. oh, the Dolphins. Yes. Wow. <laughs> D-O-L-P-H-I-N, absolutely. <laughs> wow. And then where did you end up going to college? I went to AMDA. Cool. And I don't regret it. It was great. I met my fiance there. It's nice. Incredible, That's the best part. Yeah. That is the best part. Absolutely. And, you know, it gave me a lot. It taught me that I can, like, be a person and live on my own because I didn't think that was possible. Mm. And it taught me what I didn't want. So right. I guess I didn't waste my money, although it was a lot. Right. <laughs> and you're a manifesting generator. So it's like when you know what you don't, when you know what you don't want or when you see what you don't want, you're like, yeah, no, this isn't for me. 
Exactly. But that took a lot. And it was the scariest thing ever to just admit that maybe it wasn't what I wanted to do. Because even before high school, I was, my mom had me in commercials. We were doing beauty pageants. Like, what? My whole family, all of us, like working and doing school at the same time. So it was a whole life that I had to say, is this actually fulfilling me? Does this actually make me feel like something? Or do I just not see another option? Right. Especially when you've built your identity upon something. Absolutely. And so now your identity is being rocked and you're like, well, who am I actually? And there is the reckoning. And that's the scary part. And it was even scarier because that was the exact same moment that I was breaking into witchcraft and that I had finally understood on like a rooted level that I could have anything that I wanted. And that was not, it did not feel good. It did not feel freeing. It felt terrifying because then it was up to me to decide what it was that I wanted. (laughs) And that's what we were talking about, about the power. When you take your own power after it's been stripped from you, it's a terrifying experience to realize Mm -hmm. that you can co-create your own reality. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that you're supposed to. And that your (laughs) desire is something that you're supposed to honor and not squash down, something that you're supposed to go towards and not think that it is some kind of weakness that you want things. It's, that's completely backwards. We only want so that we can have some kind of guiding force throughout this experience of being on earth. <laughs> uh, it's, um, but it's terrifying. I, I mean, it unlocks so many terrifying emotions inside of you and in your body as well. And it took me a long time to even feel comfortable understanding that I could have what I want. I didn't even do spell work. Once I realized that that was really real, that I hadn't experienced a spell that didn't work and I hadn't experienced a spell that didn't work quickly. And in the beginning I was like, oh wow, yeah, I'm hot shit. Like, well, watch me go. And you know, I still am. But once I realized that <laughs> that it wasn't- Can't like, confirm, you're hot shit. Right. <laughs> once I realized that it wasn't, I wasn't going to use it to be- you know, an actor, you know, on on Broadway in the ensemble, which was my dream. <laughs> I was like, I didn't do cell work for anything for a long time because I felt like, well, what if I make a wrong choice? What if I hurt somebody? Because I didn't understand all the rules. I didn't understand how to make sure that I didn't hurt anybody else or that I wasn't stepping over somebody else's free will or by getting what I want, completely altering what was right for me, right? It was, it was a long time of only only spell work I'm doing was okay. I'm this close to rent. Let me do another. <laughs> let me do another one. Wow! Ooh. How did you get into spell work to begin with? I am one of those people who was always always into everything magic and witchy, but at the same time, I was like very afraid of it. I was very afraid of ghosts. I was very afraid of anything spirits. My mom was like really, really obsessed. And she, we would go to Long Beach. She would, just me and her in the car, she would drive us out to Long Beach to the cat's eye and I would sit in the car while she'd get a tarot reading. And so it was always like on the like outskirts of my understanding. But you have to understand that my mom, who is very sick, she was also like, you're a Mormon and you have to be a Mormon and you don't have any other options. What? Yeah. Oh Mormon going to sick? What? Wait, wait, wait. You guys let's... don't drink Coca-Cola, but you're going to go engage in witchcraft. 
Let me break it down. What Crystal the is cognitive th- dissonance. <laughs> yeah, here we are. We have a black indigenous Mormon growing up in South Orange County. Yeah. So many things are happening here. Right. And it was, we were very entrenched in our native community. My mom was really involved with SCIC, which is the Southern California Indian Center. We were at powwows every single weekend. We were doing competitions. I got a lot of cute little ribbons. And I mean, even my older brother, I mean, it was with him his entire life. Like we have always been there. And then we moved a little bit further south into Laguna de Gel, Dana Hills. And that's when did a point. And that's when my mom was like, no, you're being confirmed. And so we got baptized and got confirmed and spent many years at the services and in the community. And it was, I don't even know, it was definitely wild. I wowed them a lot when I spoke because I think that I have always been, you know, close to the veil. I've always been channeling stuff, but they also were very interested in shaming and shaping me and saving me. Like they like to buy us stuff all the time, like take us and get us Christmas gifts and whatnot. The Mormon church. The Mormon church, yes, which I'm appreciative of. They did, my mom got injured at one of her jobs early on and couldn't work for a very long time. And so they really did help us. That's what the Mormon church does really well. They care for Mm. each other. And at the same time, they care for us financially, but emotionally and mentally and spiritually were not interested in us being well. Was it like exhibitionist of sorts, do you feel like? I think that we were more of a spectacle of an opportunity for them to show how good and moral and right they were. And so nobody was ever cruel to us. Nobody ever said mean words. No one ever made us feel unwelcome verbally or energetically. But it wasn't like we had space to have questions. It wasn't like we had space to feel differently. And to be fair, I didn't even understand where so many of those stereotypes about Mormon belief came from because I was like, the people that I am with, I feel like don't believe that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I was very shocked. But a lot of things in Orange County until recently were like a little bit lax. Like nobody really wears shoes everywhere. Like you could wear the rainbows to church. It was not a big deal. We were kind of okay. You could listen to whatever you wanted, kind of. But Mm. I didn't realize until I left that other Mormons were really hardcore. (laughs) I thought it was kind of like loose suggestions. (laughs) You're like, wear the underwear if you guess. Whatever you want to do. Like, do your thing. Because my mom was not. I mean, my mom drank Diet Coke. My mom cursed. I mean, she didn't drink, but she literally, like, I felt like it was her trying to get us childcare and that it wasn't serious to her. I was very wrong. And we had a big fight about that when I thought it was real, but that's okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, oops. Oh, I thought you were just going along with it. Made a mistake. <laughs> but so it was kind of a hard journey to make my way back to something like that because I was like, before Harry Potter, I was into a lot of Tamora Pierce, which are like fantasy books with magic involved. And I, what happened when I got into it is that I was working at the Pantages Theater, where I worked for a long time. The Pantages in LA? Yes. I was working (gasps) at the Pantages. I was, it was right after college and there was a Wiccan who worked there. And she would always have like her books or her correspondence books or her cards or whatever on her lap, which was against the rules. So I always thought it was a little cool. And I was like, oh, what is that? And she was like, oh, I'm a witch. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. All right. And I never for a second was like, that's not real. That's not true. I've always just been kind of everything I feel like could be true. So I was never Mm -hmm. like, 
against it. And she invited my roommate, my sibling, Jake, uh, because everybody loves him. And I was like, I'm coming. It's using one of their Sabbaths. And I was like, okay, okay. Now, not all of this is for me, but there's definitely <laughs> something here. She even lent me some of her books to learn about goddesses and things like that. And it was, it was cool. And that's when I got onto YouTube in the early days of WitchTube with mm. like Lauren Mooney and Kellyanne Maddox. And, and I was very obsessed and I am a hardcore Gemini. So when I am obsessed and I have ADHD, so when there's something that interests me it, uh-huh. it, all day, every day, I am consuming all of this. Mm. So I learned it pretty quick and I just tried it immediately and was like, oh, okay wow, this works. And I was like, no spirits, no ghosts. I can't deal with that. But I will cast a spell. <laughs> I like how you pick, you're like, I'm going to pick a little of this. Not you guys. Not that. And <laughs> I was also like, I'm not a tarot reader. Okay. I was like, no, I can't do that. I'm not a tarot reader. I'm not a psychic. No ghosts. This is not what this is. And when I did pick up tarot, I was like, these are archetypes. I'm not a psychic. <laughs> they literally had to like forced me to understand what I was doing. <laughs> and I, it was before I ever had any connection or communion with my guides or any kind of spirits outside of myself. And nowadays, it's just like so silly. It's so mm-hmm. silly that I thought there were so many rules and so many things that I couldn't possibly be that things that were true for everybody else, but couldn't possibly be true for me. Mm-hmm. And those things don't really like, you know, it doesn't really go together. If you feel called to it, if you feel lit up and excited by it and also at least for me if you feel that scared for no reason then maybe it might be you now no reason is not necessarily fair because we did live in a house with a very active ghost once in long beach right on the cusp of long beach and lakewood we lived in this house that a actually little native girl had passed away when she was small she had died in the pool and I was small. I was in like the first grade, maybe. But my mom, again, who was super into all this stuff, I don't know how she was so Mormon. I have no idea. To be fair, the Mormons believe in some weird shit. <laughs> There's a lot of space for things. Sorry. Right. I'm just going to say, you guys like found some gold plates and like dinosaurs and shit. I don't know. There's a some lot weird of stuff. Dang, Michelle. How you just... How you just come for the Mormons like that? I don't get me. I mean, I'm not not all Mormons. Maybe I don't know, but like <laughs> some of that stuff's interesting. Anyways, okay, so you're yeah in the ghost. This yeah, like I the, this story I want to hear. Yeah. Name was Sarah, and this was a very big dramatic moment for me. I hated it. It was the nicest house we'd ever lived in. We had a pool and a tennis court and there was everybody had a room. Like this was really new and really big for us because I mean, I come from poverty. Like it was not super, it was our life hadn't been like, that was the best house we'd been in and we'd ever be in after that. But I think it was probably because of how active this ghost was (laughs) that nobody wanted to live there. But we would see around corners, like a little peeking head and a pigtail, like one braid around the corner all the time. And she lived in my older brother's room or lived, she was there with my older brother most often. And we really didn't have any problems with her. That's the thing. It was just, we just all were scared. She wasn't doing anything violent or, or, or wild. We just were scared that it was real. I mean, I was an actual child and yeah. we, all five, six of us almost every night would end up in my parents' room to sleep because oh. we were scared. Now, 
what's cool is that before, eventually we'd have a ghost show, like a talk show on and to come see the house. But before that, my mom would scream at me all the time because my room was a mess. Context, I was assigned female at birth. And so my mom was like, you are, my mom only ever wanted a girl her whole life. And so when she finally got me, I had every toy you could dream of. I, my walls were all stuffed animals. I had all of the Fisher Price stuff, I had dollhouses, and I wasn't interested in any of it. <laughs> so I didn't play with it. I wasn't in there making messes. So we really had a tough time because she thought I was, and she thought I just wouldn't wasn't cleaning my room, and I was playing with the toys. And I was I had my shirt off in the in the street playing with the boys playing football. Like I was not not that I'm like into football, please. But <laughs> not like but she didn't believe me. So when we started seeing more of Sarah, more of the pigtails, seeing the merry-go-round go around steadily in circles outside without any wind or anything. Krista. Krista. I know. <laughs> but she was just a little girl. She was literally harmless. She was just playing with our toys, right? And so my mom set up a camera in my room. No, that's not what happened. That happened later. What happened was that she cleaned everything and arranged it and closed the door. And we all went to the sizzler. And we came back from the sizzler and my room was played with. It was <gasps> messed. It was not destroyed. It wasn't like poltergeisty. It was just the dolls were not in their place. They were in the dollhouse. The stuffed mm. animals were on the window seal. They were on the floor. You know, <sighs> like it was just stuff that she liked that she wanted yeah. and at that point my mom was like okay <laughs> this is something and so it was in the very early 90s where a lot of the talk shows were having doing ghost like series and so I don't remember the name of the talk show because I was so little but they had the talk show host and the camera and a police a sketch artist come in and a medium and the medium described the sketch artist tried to the sketch artist the ghost that they were seeing that's where we learned her name that's where we learned that she was native that's where we learned that she what had happened to her and when he had drawn the picture my older brother was like that's what I see that's who I see absolutely and we stayed there a little longer <laughs> and honestly the scariest thing was when we had these little boys living across the street and they would tease me and I I was telling them like Sarah I have a ghost in my house Sarah's there and they didn't believe me so we I had them come inside just inside the door it was a little foyer where there was a chandelier hanging there and I screamed I was like Sarah these boys don't believe you they're being so mean they don't believe you're real show us that you're real and the light bulbs in the chandelier burst no <laughs> So, and that was like my last memory of that house. My, my granny was getting older at that time. So we moved and we moved my grandma out of that house too. So, but that actually stayed with me for a really long time. And I got a soul retrieval in like 2013. And they were like, there's still something here with you. Like I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself at school. Like I... I was in the first grade, like still peeing in the class, like peeing myself because I would not go to the bathroom if it wasn't recess because no one else was in there. Yeah. And it was like a, a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I was scared all the time. And were you scared you'd see ghosts? Absolutely. Because I didn't see Sarah. I, d I didn't see her. I just felt her and I heard her and my brothers would see her. So I just was always like, well, so there's something that I can't perceive that can perceive me. And I don't know 
how to handle this. I didn't have any cultural or spiritual context to understand ghosts at that time. And no one was sharing their experience with me. Right. Uh, I mean, it was like nine of us in the house. So, you know, mm-hmm. things go by the wayside. But I was just afraid that something would happen. And I didn't even know what it was. And it wasn't until like 2013 that it was like, okay, Sarah is still here. Let's bid her goodbye. It's been a long time, you know? So mm-hmm. that was my first real experience with a ghost or a spirit. And it was so terrifying that it took me that long (laughs) till 2018, 2019, where I was like, okay, this is actually something I'm going to incorporate into my life again. Yeah. Wow. Do you see or feel spirits often now? I feel them often. I hear them. I get images, but my Boundaries are very, very specific and Mm -hmm. well enforced. When I was first opening myself up to psychic ability and understanding that, I would tell them like what was what wasn't okay with me right mm-hmm. I don't want to see them I don't want I did at that time I didn't even want to hear things in my ears I <laughs> not do that I don't want to and my mentor at the time at Caitlin is Caitlin Watsabab from Spirit Garden they were like they're so your guides are so accommodating they, they <laughs> whatever you want to do they're down for like you don't mm-hmm. have to even try that hard just pick what you want to do and do it and that changed everything for me so now I perceive them on my own terms there's never any passers-by in my home because that's not allowed (laughs) there's never any any spirits I'm not already working with or that belong to my my partner or my roommate Mm -hmm. they're just they just don't they just don't they just can't (laughs) it's not allowed Yeah. You're like making me remember something. The first night I slept in this house, this is my partner's house. It's from, it was built in like 1911 and a lot of families have lived here. The first night I spent the night had this waking dream that all these like female spirit, all of these spirits were walking through the house. It was like all this traffic walking through the house and I woke him up and I was like, when was the last time you cleared your house? Like, have you ever cleared your house before or cleansed your house? He's like, "Mm, no, I've lived here for 10 years. I was like, did a lot of people used to live here before this? And a family of like seven used to live in this 800 square foot house. So we cleared the house and that never happened again. But it was, I never thought about it as like, oh, because you are the boundaried person, Krista. Now your house is safe. Yeah, thank you for putting that together for me. That's so interesting. I've never thought about it like that. I did absolutely have to like actively put a boundary around the house and then also yeah. be very clear about what I did and didn't want. Yeah. And even even those boundaries were bent or sagged under the weight of how many people were crossing over in mm. the over the winter in December. It was really hard for me and it was hard for all of my friends in the same industry and the same work, like I was being forced again to deal with however I felt about it, deal with my fears and decide how I was going to move forward because it was just, there's just so much. Traffic is the exact perfect way to say that. It was just highways were jammed Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. don't know where to go. And my, myself and my altars shine and they're like, okay, cozy. Like this looks nice. Let me roll up. And I was like, this doesn't work for me. I'm sorry. Like I can't help you. I knew at the time that I would probably be someone who could, 
but I knew that I, it wasn't time for me to do that. And so I just mm. had to reinforce, bring out the big guns, get some camphor oil and put it around. <laughs> I was like, no <laughs> mischievous Christmassy spirits and also no strangers passing by. I'm sorry. I can't help you. I think that December, you and I were in contact right after that. And I know it was an em- emotional time for there was a lot up. And I think a lot about like our spiritual immune systems and how like when we're really like spiritual, like when we're really feeling good and confident and our stress levels are low and we're healthy, it's so much easier to have that protection. It's not something that you think about, right? It's just like you've, it's like your immune system, it's up. And then there are things that sort of chip away at it over time. And we don't notice that maybe like we were, that's weighing on us or I'll speak from the eye. I don't notice that these things are weighing on me until something sneaks in. It's usually like a sleep paralysis demon. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah. That means that I got <laughs> to work on my spiritual immune system and like strengthen my boundaries and protect myself and cleanse a little bit more than I normally do. And like go out of my way to practice the stuff that it's kind of like second nature now. Absolutely. And I think it also speaks to, I like the way that you put that spiritual immune system. I think that's cool. But it also speaks to how valuable a routine really is, Mm. a spiritual hygiene routine or any routines, because a routine is a system, right? A system of support. And a lot of times we don't see that, or I don't see that. I see these are things I have to do (laughs) and I don't Mm -hmm. want to do them. And they're things (laughs) I like am required to do and not this is actually what's going to support me when I'm not feeling my best, when I'm not feeling well. The more I prioritize this, when I do have the space, time, energy for it, the easier it becomes for it to come second nature when I'm not feeling good. I can just, okay, I know this is going to work. Sometimes do I have to be reminded to take a salt bath? Absolutely. Partner's <laughs> like, I feel like you need to cleanse yourself. <laughs> okay. You may be right. You may be right. But my frustration turns to anger and I'm just like mad about things. Like not at anybody, but like I'll try, like today I was trying to choose a lipstick even though I knew I was going to wear a mask. And then I just got so mad at myself. I was like, why did I spend so much time on this? <laughs> please calm down. You are, you get some Florida water, whatever you do. And I was like, you are so right. I do not need to be this upset. But I, I need that routine, right? I, I, otherwise, when I'm not feeling good, everything's going to fall by the wayside. And I only experience the type of like spiritual comfort, I guess I'll say now, because of the hygiene that I practice consistently. So that when I'm not feeling good, if I can't get up and cleanse, I usually don't have to worry about it because I do it so rigorously and I'm working with other people's spirits every day. So I close out my house every day, you know, Mm. so it's, it lasts a little longer. I've really made my support system robust and the support system is that routine of hygiene and spiritual support for myself. It reminds me of like proactive you know, the, the three-step system. And all the proactive did was basically like tell teenagers to wash your face twice a day, you know, like actually wash your face twice a day. And like your acne probably will kind of go away. Like you'll see a difference and it's okay if you skip every now and then, but like just get into this routine, like your skin will be better for it. It's the same thing with spiritual hygiene. So what do you, what's your spiritual, what's your proactive of spiritual hygiene? Oh my gosh. (laughs) My three-step program begins. <laughs> so I I know that it's a little like not punk rock. You know, it's not super cool, but I'm a prayer. I I love No, pray is praying is punk rock. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I people I don't know. I feel like sometimes in 
like the wellness and spiritual world definitely but in like the witchcraft world i think people don't like the word and i get it mm-hmm. like we come from religious trauma i understand not wanting anything to look like what you used to do or what was used against you but there's a reason why literally everyone all over the planet from the beginning of time has been praying <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that's because it works. I mean, whether or not it is you believe that you are petitioning someone or whether or not you believe that you are telling the universe what you need and what you want over and over again, the same words that over time gain power. So I pray every day. I ask the angels that guide me, the the animals that guide me, my actual spirit guides for protection, for their continued protection and continued guidance. And I thank them for what they've done and are about to do for me. I ask them to guard me from any low vibrational energies and entities from entering my space at all, from interacting with me and also from affecting me in any way. And that's what people I think miss is that sometimes they don't have to like talk to you or say spooky things in your ear to affect the way that you feel. But if you add that layer of also to affect me in any way that gives them gives yourself some space so i pray for that i smoke cleanse every single day (laughs) most days i rarely skip a day on that i use a bell and a sound bowl almost every day i drench myself in florida water almost every single day i'm surprised there's like hydration in my skin ever because of how much (laughs) alcohol gets sprayed on it but i've got that inner glow you know and I cleanse and clean the whole house with my roommate at least once a month. And it's because of the work that I do. I also take Epsom salt baths. Now, that's not, not baths, I make it a scrub. And that's not like Mm -hmm. super available to everyone with like sensitive skin because it's hardcore. But I don't experience that. So I have (laughs) Epsom salt in a bowl. I put sweet almond oil in that bowl. I put rosemary oil in it and a couple drops of castile soap and mix it all together. And I scrub my whole body with it and I get clean. I get moisturized and I get spiritually cleaned. So yeah, that's a, that's a, I like that move. I like to do salt on my feet because sometimes I, I can't do the whole, I can't like, I don't wash my hair every day, so I can't do it on the crown of my head. So I'll just do it on my feet and put it in between my toes. Also, I'm a Pisces, so we have a foot thing. And <laughs> so I'll do that. And I like literally have a gigantic thing of Epsom salt like from the 99 cent store. And it's just, I'm like a pretzel. I'm like, I cover <laughs> my feet in it and <laughs> cleanse it at night. I actually think that we should do a cleansing, 30 days of cleansing in the North Node. That would be really powerful. And that's such an easy but good habit to get in the, like, good thing to get in the habit of. And something that will give you direct results. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all we want. We want results. Exactly. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, with with witchcraft and with spirituality, you are literally forced to deal with the pace because the spirits don't experience or understand time in the way that we've crafted it for ourselves. And that's where a lot of frustration comes from. But that's why I'm always. You know, and I, again, I got that main part of my practice from Caitlin Watsaba as well, that it's, I mean, cleansing is the very foundation and people hear it, I think, and are like, okay, yeah, but they don't really realize the drastic change that you can experience by committing to a cleansing practice, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. that your whole demeanor will change. Even if it's just, I have a routine, so my life is easier. I'm like, okay, well, that worked too then. And then yeah. you clean your house. You can't just cleanse. You have to clean. Yes. Like before every spell, you got to clean your fucking house. Mm-hmm. 
You really do. People don't buy into that. But like, that's a huge part of magic is the mundane, you know? That's what was born out of. It wasn't born out of high ceremonial uh, theoretical magic. It wasn't just sigils and trying to (laughs) hold people's will. It was, how do I run my home? And that's how so much of it came to be beyond, you know, the hermetic order of the golden dawn or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think that's where it has most power because we're actively putting action to intention and, and every turn, right? Like I clean with literally Florida water and I literally spray down my surfaces with Florida water. Sometimes I blend up incense or benzoin or copal into baking soda and put that on my carpet and vacuum it up. Oh. You're, you know, we know what that baking soda in the carpet does, but when you add that extra element, it works. Like everybody was doing the steaming because we were having fires. I was like, good, because you should keep doing that because it's so good for you. Mm-hmm. It cleans out the corners. People need to, or I feel like it's so valuable to realize how much a complete cleanse or smoke cleanse or fumigation or even just like clapping your hands in the corners of your room does like don't let the spider web or the cobweb stay there take care of it because that will change the way your brain works it will change the way your body feels comfortable in your space and it will change the type of spirit interaction that you're having because what's the clapping Oh, clapping. Clapping is classic. Classic. (laughs) It's actively making noise. I mean, it's the same thing as a bell. When you walk around your house, make clapping around in the corners, you are also cleansing it. You're shocking anything that's sticking to your walls or sticking to your home out. Now you do want to do that with the windows open. So it's a little easier for them to actually get out. But you, that's why I say you don't need tools. Do you have a pot Mm -hmm. and a pan? Slam that around your house. (laughs) You have hands, clap them together, make noise. Mm -hmm. You have sticks, stick them together. You don't have to buy a $300,000 quartz singing bowl to clean your house or to cleanse your house. If you do that, what you don't realize is that you're actually probably going to have to cleanse and elevate that quartz ball Mm -hmm. because it was ripped from the earth violently. (laughs) And usually someone was underpaid or not paid at all to do the labor. So... Crystals are an excellent ally, but they require more attention because of their origin nowadays. Yeah, I'm definitely about to be clapping because I know how to clap. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. We learned it young and we can handle it. (laughs) (laughs) That's also, I feel like a great place, like cleansing. It's a great place to just pop in on your own spiritual ancestry and be like, hey, how did my people cleanse? You know, where I come from, like, what did they use? What herbs did they use to clean their house? I have this great book on Italian folklore magic. And one of the first spells is how to clear your house. And you you use all these herbs and use lemon, salt, cinnamon, cloves. And, you know, you boil it and it's aromatic and that clears the house. And then the second set of instructions is take the water and clean your entire house. Mop the floors, clean every single surface. That's the whole spell. You can't just do the good smelling thing. You need to do the whole thing. And I just love how practical it is. It's like, you wanted to cleanse. Okay. Okay. You're going to clean. Absolutely. And that's (laughs) such a good point to make. And I know that we have covered, we as a community have covered the cultural appropriation from basically every angle. We know we're trying to get people to understand that they're hurting people. But I think sometimes what I have not heard said as much is that not only are you 
hurting communities when you take things that aren't yours and bastardize them. But cultural appropriation is literally bad for you. It's bad for you. Yeah. There you're you are robbing yourself of a deep and true connection to who you are and where you came from and also your actual real power. If you feel strong and you feel so good doing something that is appropriative, then that only means that doesn't mean it's for you and you should do it. It means that there's something even stronger and even for better you. that's connected to your bloodline. Yeah, for sure. And I know that it's complicated sometimes to find out where we're from and you know exactly what they did, depending on who you are. But it is not just leave us alone it's if you want to be practicing powerful magic you have to find what is already living inside of you and we know that our flesh and our bones and our blood are actually our ancestors they belonged to them and they have been passed down and from my belief your spirit also has a lineage that is you know sometimes not necessarily connected to your bloodline but also has the experience and when you are searching for connection, which I feel like everybody is, when you're searching for power, you are going to find it inside of you. Mm. And so fiddling around with Native American things or fiddling around with hoodoo stuff when it really has nothing to do with you, you just think it's cool, like you're not actually affecting any quality change and you're not accessing your true power. It's not even, I mean, Sure, it's about us. And it really is because you're actually harming people and harming communities. But also, like, be a little selfish because it is about you. And it is about what you actually can feel, what you deserve to feel. And that connectedness that you're looking for, you can actually find. And almost every practice that people are really into appropriating that is not belonging to them has a similar, if not nearly identical, practice in their own region and their own people because what we're doing all over the planet humans were channeling through spiritual tools and yeah we are all burning something we're all cleaning somehow and you are actually gonna feel better and that i that is the hill i will die on you will feel even better and even more connected and even more purposeful when you lean in to what is already living inside of your body, it's just bad for you. And <laughs> like, if you guys are so serious about being well, then um, do what's good for you and uh, find out who you are and do it on purpose. And I don't think it's that complicated, honestly, about, yeah, I think it's about doing the work because if you open yourself up, your ancestors will come or the elders or whomever will That's come. I think it's about taking the extra step to do that. And a lot of times people don't want to. Yeah. And I mean, I, I understand that there's a certain level of exotification, if that's a word of native cultures and foreign cultures of people who are, or, or people who are white or really just, you know, white people or people who are looking for that connection that they have been robbed of. I understand that the overculture has said this is real. Look at how close to the earth these people are. Look at, and they see that there have been massive attempts that were basically successful to completely erase us off the planet, and yet we still exist. And so they know, okay, there's something there. There's some power there. But it's also rooted in racism that you think that we all can just like 
change the world and you kind of can but still your vision of who black and brown people are is skewed by your racism and you think you're honoring people when really you're just and you're not even really doing it like if some black or indigenous person was like here do this like you're just getting a version of it you don't have real access to what you don't have real access because it does not belong to you exactly i don't know it's um again it's i was gonna say it's complicated but it really isn't it just comes down to being intentionally obtuse at this point Mm-hmm. And I think it also boils down to these conversations. I don't actually think these conversations are had a lot of times. And so sometimes people do it anyway because they don't know any better. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Or no, they know better. What do you think, Michelle? I had a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I couldn't tell. I think that there's a couple things. I think this kind of circles back to the beginning of our, our for the very beginning of our conversation we were talking about capitalism keeping people asleep and like out of self like keeping them away from self-actualization right so like Krista you're I agree with you 100% when we tap into like our spiritual lineage and what we know in our DNA and our bones like I know when I practice things from my Italian ancestry like it comes naturally and it's also things that I've practiced and known forever and no one ever taught me or told me that. And it's when I read it in a book or I find out from some other teacher, I'm like, wait, that's actually a thing. I just thought that I just thought that way because I'm weird, but it's, it's like you're confirmed in an interesting way. So that power that you're opening, that you have access to all the time, sort of unconsciously or subconsciously is like, yeah, we, we're, we're a thousand times more powerful when we're tapping into what we already know as opposed to sort of like masking with an equally powerful practice, but that isn't ours. It's like speaking a language that isn't ours and doing it fluently, but in the wrong sort of like dialect or like with the wrong accent. It's like, oh, yeah, I can speak in this language, but it doesn't exactly sound right because it's not mine. That's a good analogy. Oh. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Just came up with it. I'm glad that it went, it went well. Sometimes it doesn't happen. So I think that there's something about even like society and capitalism, we could call it the man, whatever, wanting to keep us asleep to our own power and being like, sure, sure, sure. Like appropriate this. Fine. Fine. If you really want to be spiritual, fine. Just like take this take this thing. Here's a little breadcrumb. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Feel You feel something, right? Okay. Now you can go back to sleep and... So we owe it to ourselves to fully be in our power. Um, yeah, and I think at this point there's no excuse. Uh, sorry, like not to be harsh, but I don't really think that there's an excuse for you not to be looking at your own lineage and yeah. not be like acknowledging that if you're a white person drinking cacao every morning instead of coffee, that like that's a really powerful sacred herb and plant for a group of people and like you maybe shouldn't be like guzzling it down so you can get a caffeine high so you can be super peppy on your zoom like that that doesn't feel exactly right and I think that people get resistant and I'm also like I'm up I'm down to be wrong about that like I'm I'm okay with potentially being wrong about that and changing my mind but I think that people get really defensive and indignant Mm -hmm. Yes, because entitlement and privilege. And and because they're like, but I feel this. I feel connected to this thing. Right. It's like, that's cool, dude. You can feel it. You can feel connected. I'm not saying that you're not. I'm not saying that it's fake. You have to get permission. And even if you get permission, like, that doesn't mean this can be yours. Okay. It's the entitlement for me. (laughs) 
Like, I know you don't want to be harsh, but I fully will take up that mantle. (laughs) You know, and it just comes back to what I was saying. Like, okay, if you feel something, then that's your jumping off point. Then clearly there's some herbal medicine available for you. But what is your body actually calling out for? Because you're kind of just settling for what is available to you, what is popular, what seems to be the quick solution. But there's no such thing as a spiritual quick solution. Mm. It doesn't exist. And so if you are like, wow, this cacao is changing me, but I'm just buying it from like whoever, even some of the people who are like, this is ceremonial grade and we get it from Brazil. It's like, okay, but what are the people in Brazil sacrificing for it? Like, are they being compensated? Like, is this something they even want to happen? We don't have that information because you're our only go-between. Mm-hmm. And if you are connected to that, whether or not you believe or whether or not it's true that everything on the planet should be for everyone, even if that is still the case with the systems that we're living in, with the hierarchy that we are experiencing, we know that people are actively being harmed and that your actions, even as small as shopping, can actually continue to hurt people, to kill people. And we know that, to enslave people still. And we know that. And to have that knowledge and still dig your heels in and say, this is mine, ultimately, I mean, I don't believe in evil, but I just think that if you want to be a good person, I understand that so much of our culture is like, end of white people's culture specifically is about being good and moral and right. But if you want to be good and moral and right, it's not about trying to say that what you're doing wrong isn't wrong. It's about saying I made a mistake and I want to find what actually does feel good. And if you're feeling so good on cacao, but you're from Ireland, there's probably a friggin' Irish drink that's going to make you feel the same but better. Guinness. Exactly. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're... Mm, everything you're saying is just like hitting so good. And I was talking to Jaleesa Cypress. Do you know them? Yeah. Jaleesa said this thing that is really sticking with me lately because my big mortal flaw, my mortal wound is being good, trying to be good. She was like, if you're good, then you're making someone else bad. And like, if, you know, like we, we live, we don't live in a binary anymore. And that just isn't real. Like that, that ideal ideology just doesn't work anymore. I, I don't know. It doesn't leave space. It doesn't leave space for changing minds. It doesn't leave space for learning and then changing your behavior and becoming yes. a better member of society. Like right. I feel like if I feel like maybe good and maybe bad aren't static, right? They right. are mutable and yeah. they the line is always moving when it comes to specific circumstances and experiences and there's no one way to just be good consistently it's about actively choosing what you think is in the highest of best of you and the community that you have Mm -hmm. power over Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's the age of Aquarius so the way that we're thinking is definitely evolving Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that like fear of being wrong like I of course, experienced that as an adult human, but also have experienced it. Like I said, I worked at the Pantages. I worked there for many years mm-hmm. as an usher for most of the time, then supervising. And that is like the biggest like trigger, I guess is the word I'll say, for adults everywhere, especially white adults, but all of us. If you f- like, I'm not trying to ridicule you. I'm just saying your seat is one seat over me. That's all I'm saying. But <laughs> that some 
something as small as that can set people off into 100%. a entire spiral of you're telling me I am worthless. I have made a million mistakes. I have, you know, committed murders with my bare hands. And I'm like, no, you just were wrong. And the sooner that we can accept that we are going to be wrong, that you are actually going to hurt people, that you're actually going to cause harm, mm-hmm. the sooner and the easier it will be to start making it better, to start mm. making up for the things that you've done, to do the right thing, whatever in that specific instance the right thing can do. It's like, you know, there's no evil. There's just bad choices. And you can come back from that. Being good or being evil or being good or being bad means that there's no space to change, that you live mm. there. And exactly. that's just doesn't seem to be the case for me, even in the spirit world, especially in the spirit world where there are Spirits that are actively rejecting the light, that are actively causing harm because they do not want to feel better. They, and ultimately, it all comes from a place of living in a traumatic way and or even dying in a traumatic way or having a specific life. And then you die and you can't necessarily see where you're supposed to go. And so you find your place in the spirit world causing the same type of harm. But ultimately, they can be for lack of a better word, saved. You know, I don't like that. No, they can be changed. Exactly. They can be changed. They can at any point accept the light and then either reincarnate, go to be somebody else's guide or do whatever else spirits do. I will never claim to know it all. That's vast and unknowable. That's the rule. But it's not, it's reflected all over, you know, it's reflected in the planet and in us and in the spirits as well. Like just try to be, constantly evolving Hmm. otherwise like what are you even doing here on the planet what are you doing here but you know that ties into what we were talking about originally is if people knew that they had the power to do so they would but the fear of being wrong is always looking to someone else because they're right yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely and that also is really important about the year that we're experiencing 2021 is the hierophant year which is forcing us to take people off of pedestals, Mm. to understand that no one person, no any person is going to have all the answers for you or deliver to you the all-knowing truth, right? And when we put people on pedestals so high, when they fall, it hurts us. Yes. And that's not fair. That's dehumanizing them. Yes. That's really not cool, bro. Even the people you love. Like, especially yeah yeah and and ourselves when we expect ourselves to be perfect to not make mistakes to not fail it's paralyzing 100%. and it is I mean like I feel like I'm going through that right now very much in my life of like I'm having a, I'm having a, an emotion momo lately where I'm just like I feel Pisces. like I'm Pisces baby <laughs> never not crying and yeah that is that's so resonant. And I wanted to say something about failure tolerance. And we've been talking about failure tolerance a lot. And I feel like the point of failure, increasing your failure tolerance is acknowledging that you have to fail in order to move forward. You have to, because you have to do something different. Like you have to see, you have to step beyond what you're maybe comfortable stepping And that's really intimidating for a lot of people because like failure feels like death. 
It's so dysregulating to us. It's so bad. It makes us feel like we're bad or wrong when in reality it's like, no, you're just actually like, this is when you're the most human. Mm-hmm. And like being human is actually like feeling your humanity is like, that's divine. Like when we're really in our bodies, like you feel the divinity of your body and how like it's truly a miracle that we made it here and we're in these meat suits and we like have to feed them every day and we have to water them every day and they're like still here. That's that's insane. You know what I mean? Like when you really think about it. (laughs) So I feel like it all flows together. You just said it so much more eloquently and, and in a more spiritual way, but I'm, I'm thinking about business constantly, so that's how I'm, okay. I'm perceiving it. Another really incredible idea that I got from Kyron Armand, who you know I love, he was talking about fulfillment, and this really resonated with me about how fulfillment is a natural and vital part of our experience, and it is naturally a part of the Earth's process. And that got me thinking, like, if we, if things need to be fulfilled, right, to move on, not only, that definitely doesn't mean that we are going to be successful every time. It just means that something needs to be fulfilled, and sometimes Mm -hmm. that's failing. But when you have a big dream or a big goal, it is exactly what you said. You're not going to be able to make it without some kind of failure because we have to fulfill all of these steps. We have to really surrender to what is naturally ask being asked of us what's naturally occurring which is this fulfillment cycle and that means that entitlement actually is like something valuable that we Mm. are actually entitled to so much now i do think that there is a way to be out of balance in your entitlement absolutely but that's what i love so much about gen z like people complain about how entitled they are. And I say, hell yeah. They know that they are Mm -hmm. entitled to clean air. Yes. 100%. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh my God. No. (laughs) I don't see a healthy planet. They know they're entitled to fulfill what is inside of them, their callings, and not just work. Mm. They know that. And I'm like grateful that for that energy. I'm grateful for that that breath of fresh air in the new generation. Like, it's a lesson that they just came here with. Yeah, I also think it's the work of our ancestors and we're actually seeing it in real time now because it's only going to be like more healing and more entitlement and more tearing down. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's really the goal of decolonization, right? We want to be everything that we are supposed to be, everything that we choose to be and not what the hierarchy says that we are supposed to be the, mm-hmm. the man the overculture says that we have to be because clearly they have it wrong because no one's happy no one's healthy the planet itself is not happy or healthy and they have mm-hmm. us thinking that it's somehow the like every individual person's responsibility or fault they have us thinking oh it's overpopulation Oh, it's oh, it's the problem. The, only these countries have a problem with pollution. You think we're bad, but they don't tell you that that's our trash that they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. That we just send our pollution over there. They, right. they they have you thinking that it is that humans are somehow unnatural, but the truth is is that humans born out of this planet, crawled out of the dirt, made of this planet and of star stuff, 
are supposed to be the in-between. We are supposed to be the connection between the spirit world and the earth itself. We are only on this planet to tend it. And no one will be happy. No one will be fulfilled. No one will be healthy until we return to tending the land the way that it requires us. Because this is a partnership. Our relationship with this planet is supposed to be overpopulation is not a problem if we treat the planet correctly, if we respect the things that they ask of us, and that we receive abundance in the ways that it wants to deliver it to us. Overpopulation will never be a problem if we work with the resources that we have. But we're obsessed with like going to Mars, like that's going to fix something. Like I'm not against space, but I feel like maybe it needs to be lower on the priority list. <laughs> it's just like, hmm, it seems silly. But that's my belief, you know, that we are literally supposed to be in communion with the planet, every single one of us. And it is like you said, that is ancestral work because that's what has been slowly stripped away from us beyond leaving your homeland and then getting a small piece and then working the land, but ultimately not receiving anything from it. And then being promised, you know, 40 acres in the mule or being promised work. If you come out to California, being promised opportunity and land and consistently having that stolen out from under your feet means mm. that we are desperate for the connection with the actual planet and that's where things like abundance come in. That's where belonging comes in. That's where purpose comes in. That's where community comes in. And so I am looking forward to the beginning of some kind of cycle where we really put earth first in our individual lives. And that doesn't mean no plastic straws or Tupperware. It means what is actually good for this land that I'm standing on right now. And, you know, we have Pluto in retrograde right now. So my main mantra is we do what we can with what we have and we surrender the rest because we have to. And so when we bring it in small, that means that I take care of the house that I live on. It means that I water the plants. It means that I am concerned about the bird's healthy health here, bird's healthiness here. The, I have a very strong murder of crows and I'm concerned when they... I don't hear them for a few days. You know, it, there's, mm -hmm. it's important to listen. And we all are delivered the signs. We're all delivered the kind of path that we are valuable on, that we are going to be productive on. Not everybody has to be a farmer, but in our individual lives, answering that desire, like I was saying earlier, that desire being your real compass is also being in communion with the land, meditating with the land instead of just trying to fly into space, like honoring the land first in your prayers. This is all vital work and it is ancestral work no matter where you're from because the earth needs us and that's why they created us because we are its hands and fingers. We are the tenders of this place, of the body of the planet. And so I, I'm, I love that Gen Z is like, let's all just bounce and be farmers. We just want to have chamomile. We want to do cottage core. We want to raise rabbits. And I say, maybe go for it. Anything I can do to help you. I love that. Krista, you're so good. <laughs> like, the way that you channel is just like, and just the way that you speak. I don't, I want to like honor your how intelligent you are everything that just came through the way that you articulated is so resonant and what a beautiful image like we are made of dirt we are the dirt and like 
Ah, man, I love that. And (laughs) thank you. I did not graduate from high school, so that does feel good to hear. (laughs) (laughs) I will affirm you all day long, whatever you need. (laughs) (laughs) I passed all my dance classes. That's it. That's what matters. Truly. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like our generation, we're like, we're all millennials, right? I'm a millennial. All uh, all amongst us. I feel like we're like the wall that's protecting Gen Z from boomers. You know, we're like, no, we've got, they are way smarter than us, these Gen Z kids. Like, we must protect them at all costs. And and we will do what they they tell us to do. Like, do side parts and not wear skinny jeans anymore. Like, fine, fine, if that's what you want. Yes. (laughs) Make a bond to make us look more tired. Okay, whatever you do. (laughs) It's more like, okay, I guess I'll just stop wearing makeup because I've already got the bags. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm warning you, some of the fashion you're trying to bring back, it's just going to hurt you. (laughs) It's not going to support you. It's going to hurt you. But I understand you being called to it. You were called to it too. (laughs) It's the siren song of of low rise bootcut jeans, babe. It is. Ooh, those Tough stuff. Those homecoming dresses, I gotta tell you. <laughs> Ashley Tisdale did not know. She was not in control, but she started something <laughs> that she should not have started. She opened Pandora's box of fashion. Yeah. And you know what? Even Gen Z has to learn how to be humble. Yeah. So maybe that's <laughs> what. <laughs> Facts. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll tell you do what you want, ignore texts from 40 year old men, and just live your life. <laughs> There you go. That's the wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Krista, we took you so far over time, and I want to be respectful because you are such. Because I want to be respectful. Period. And I'm just so. I bow to you and all of your wisdom and knowledge. And you, we're so lucky to get to talk to you and hang out with you. So thank you. And how can our listeners find you, work with you, support you? What do they need to know? What they need to know is that the best way to interact with me and my work now is through the Opalite subscription program, which is my presence on Patreon. And it is for the price of like Netflix, you get basically every class I've ever taught, mm-hmm. meditations. And I also teach a new class specifically for that group of people. So it's really special. You can also find me at Pinkable Magic on Instagram, at pinkablemagic.com. I offer one-on-one sessions. We'll channel through the spirits and see what needs to be said. I'm not one of those people who offers a specific reading and I may ask you what's going on, but I'm also just going to tell you what's going on. So Mm -hmm. if you're stuck, if you're confused, if you're having a spiritual awakening or you're not sure what that word means, but you can't sleep, then I can help you. (laughs) And your crows were in the background (laughs) affirming you. They're like, yep, that's true. It is right. We will tell you. They will tell you what is happening. That's exactly what was happening. Yeah. Krista, you're the best. I'm just like in awe of your talent and everything that you do. And just biggest fangirl. So I'm delighted that you're one of our VIRs this year. Thank you so much. It was such an honor to be here. I am sorry I didn't bring 32 bars and a tap number, but <laughs> maybe next time. We'll you were dropping, two. you were dropping the bars, so like you didn't need to. <laughs> All right. Thank Thanks, you so Krista. Much. And that's it. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode with Krista. Let us know what you thought, what your favorite part was. 
Do you have a ghost? <laughs> I want to know. I could have talked about that forever. I have some ghost stories. One day I'll share some ghost stories. Let me know on, on Instagram. Tag us. Tag us on the gram at holisticism. If you're private, remember to just tag us and share so we can share it with more people. We can give you a virtual high five. And if you love this episode, please, please send it to a friend that really does make a difference. It helps us get found by other people and it helps us bring even more amazing guests on. It also really helps our, our guests. And that's a big part of why we do what we do. We, we really want to amplify voices that don't aren't traditionally always on podcasts and don't traditionally and always have platforms totally readily available to them. And it is, it can be life-changing to, to get in front of the right people. And I'm really grateful for every time that you share someone who, and you share that you appreciate and you let us know how much it means to you that we, we bring guests on who maybe don't have hundreds of thousands of followers and all that good stuff, you know, who aren't like social media influencers, but who have a lot to say and have a really unique perspective and really provide amazing, their amazing gifts and value to the world. So thank you for being excited about meeting these people and seeing who they are. And it just really blows me away how awesome all of our listeners are. So thank you again for sharing. Thanks for sharing these episodes and letting us know that you love them. And thanks for coming back. If you hit subscribe at the top right-hand corner on Apple, that makes a huge difference for us in getting seen and uh, climbing the charts. And that helps us get even more guests on the podcast. And it's all good. So we really appreciate it. And thanks for letting us make this thing and listening to it every week. Okay. All right. That's it. I'm done. Bye. 